Hello, and welcome to The Exhibitionist. Hi. Uh, this is Claire. You've hello. met her before. I, you have. I was talking about synesthesia last time. Very long ago. Very a long ago. A year ago. Yeah. It's been a year. Oh my goodness. I've been doing this shit for a year. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Happy birthday. Happy um, birthday your, to me. Your baby looks healthy. My baby is, my baby is thriving. Um, I am Alice, as always. This is The Exhibitionist. It's been a year. If you've stuck with me, I appreciate you very greatly. And so do I, because Alice is figuratively my little sister. Yes. This is Claire. She is a science. I am a science, yes. Um, Last time you were on the show, you were talking about the kind of science that you do. That's true. And the kind of science I'm going to stop doing very yes. shortly, which is alarming, but yeah. fun. Oh, yeah, it's cool. Um, Claire works on lots of very interesting things involving the senses and sensory perception and how we experience the world, and it's very cool. It is an and... awful lot of fun. And now I'm going to give that all up and start being a science communicator for a charity instead. Which is also very cool. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. We have just been to the Barbican. We have. To see Into the Unknown, a journey through science fiction. Now you know why Claire's here? She's the closest thing I have to a science fiction. <laughs> I, I also love science fiction. Yes, which is actually the reason Claire is here. Um, yes, this I is true. am not that not that well informed when it comes to science fiction. I do enjoy it, mm -hmm. but well, I mean, this is something we were talking about as we were going around the exhibition. It can often feel like a very exclusive genre. Yeah, and I've always been kind of wary of sci-fi as something that you have to be really, really into. And, you know, there's no such thing as casual enjoyment. <laughs> Whereas Which I... Is yeah. Very I, strange, isn't it? Yeah, I think I do casually enjoy sci-fi. Yeah. Um, I think, on, on the one hand, I've read uh, lots and lots of different science fiction mm -hmm. pieces. So, like, Arthur C. Clarke and Ursula Le Guin and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, it took me until I was 32 to watch even one Star War, as I right. believe they're called. Yes. Uh, and yeah. I, so I guess we've come at it from slightly different angles in that you're more familiar with the literature. It's true. And I am more familiar with, you know, I've seen Star Wars, I love superhero films, I've kind of absorbed the pop culture forms of sci-fi mm -hmm. rather than the kind of deeper cuts. Yes. I've seen it where it's entered into mainstream popular culture. Yes, whereas I've been reading old sci-fi even as I think the earliest sci-fi I remember reading is oh Paralandra, okay, uh, which is C.S. Lewis, right? When I was about ten, okay. I probably read some before then, but who knows what so it was? So you've been reading sci-fi since before I was born. Yes, thank Great. you. Great. <laughs> sci-fi. Yes. What's its deal? This is a very big exhibition. It it's is. quite overwhelming. It, it there was a lot of stuff. It's also, so this is taking place in the Curve Gallery at the Barbican, which is not the regular art gallery, that's on the third floor, this is on the ground floor where you first come in. Mm -hmm. um, it is, as the name would suggest, a curve. A long, thin one. A long, thin one, and it's actually the dead space behind the concert hall. Oh, I didn't when realize When they built that. it, they needed <laughs> some dead space, they needed to leave this space, and they've transformed it recently into an art gallery. The Barbican, full of mystery. So mystery. Um, so... What you get when you first come into this exhibition is a lot of very obvious explanation of what is science fiction. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of hoping that we'd start with something fairly obvious and then we'd get into some much cooler things, but it just... 
We sort of did, but uh, only right at the very end. Yeah. Yeah. Foreshadowing. You see what I did there? Yeah, I it's did. a literary device. I could barely make sense of this exhibition. There was so much going on. Oh my god, and it was noisy. Right. So this is the problem with the Curve Gallery. It wasn't designed as an art space. Mm. It gets terrible, terrible acoustics. Yep. It's a very narrow space. It's hard to curate. Yeah. And it often feels quite cluttered and claustrophobic. And yeah, it's hard to present a coherent gallery narrative through this space. I think, I I have to say this is probably very basic, Mm. my suggestion, but more use of headphones. Yeah, that would be great. I feel like that would have really helped. That would be so great. There is a lot of noise in this exhibition. Mm. And as someone who is often quite like overwhelmed by intense sensory experiences like that, I found it quite exhausting just to be in the space. There was a lot. So what you're dealing with is the fact there are these screens playing clips from old TV shows and films and all sorts of stuff, but they're also all playing the sound all at once. Yeah. There's so much to look at and so much noise. It it needs a much, much bigger space. It feels like this was an exhibition that was made for one of those like big exhibition halls mm. that's been squeezed down into this quite small gallery. Yeah. There were there were interesting things, but not enough space devoted to each one. I think there was there was one aspect we both really enjoyed that could have easily taken up the whole exhibition, which was the sort of architecture yeah, of the future. Absolutely. So I mean, if you listen to the previous episode that I did with Alice Marie, we went to the Anime Architecture Exhibition, and there were some of the same clips from Ghost in the Shell as we saw in that show. But whereas in that show, time was really devoted to how the artists came up with their visions of these cities. In the Barbican Exhibition, it was a lot of, here's a piece of concept art, here's a prop, here's a clip from a film, and there was not much of a narrative to each of those pieces it was no. just a lot of stuff it really was and kind of higgledy piggledy in yeah. a way like there was i felt a sense of a vague like um chronological narrative but yeah very vague it was it was very very vague there were a lot of props mm. i guess this is coming back to what we were saying about sci-fi can often feel very exclusive yeah this is an exhibition that you see it promoted and you think it's something that kids would really love. Yeah. You brought a child to this exhibition, they'd they probably would. have an awful oh time. God, they'd hate it. There there were a couple of kids in there. There was one I saw who must have been about two sitting yeah. on his mum's shoulders watching that interactive um, screen yeah. screen thing. Um, and he seemed quite taken with it. Mm. But you know But he was also kind of seemed to be at the age where like flashing lights is sort of all you need. Possibly, yes. And I think if you brought, you know, if, for example, you brought, I was thinking of my cousins who were like seven and nine, and mm-hmm. if you brought one of them into this exhibition, yeah. thinking, oh, they love sci-fi films, they love, you yeah. know, this was Bionicles just... and Star Wars, they would just not get anything out of it. I felt like this might have been designed for comic book guy from The Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Which is a shame. Yeah. What it brought to mind was actually the comics exhibition and even to a lesser extent the gothic art exhibition that the British Library did a couple of years ago. Yes. Where there's a lot of stuff and it's quite intense and it's for people that really know what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. It's not for the casual observer. No, but it was somehow sort of, it felt like it wanted to be for the casual observer and then just failed at the last second. Um, There was some, you know, there was no sense of the story... There were occasional little glimpses of interesting things. So the architectural drawings, it would have been great to say, have a comparison between 
this is what people are imagining the cities of the future to look like. Mm-hmm. Here's their source material. This is what they're drawing on. I would have this loved that. This person is making references to ancient Greek architecture or modernist design. And this is, you know, mm. where, where do these visions of the future come from? Which was not something that I really got a sense of in this exhibition at all. No, it was... I don't know. It, it felt like a very brief glimpse into what the future might look like. Right. Yeah, it's, so it's these tiny fragments of these hypothetical worlds. And you get these glimpses of, you know, sea creatures. What might aliens be like? What does space feel like? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's the kind of thing that, like, when I'm reading a sci-fi novel, I love that kind of, like, there's a whole world here and I'm only getting the edges right. of it. Like, that very careful world building where only... I don't even know how to describe it. Like, uh, I think Diana Wynne-Jones talks about it a bit, actually. It's mm-hmm. something like, you know exactly what it looks like, but as the writer, you only write down a certain proportion of that. Yes. And because it's so real to you, it becomes real to the reader, and you can fill in the blanks for yourself. Yeah. So I love that in the literature, but in this, it was very fragmented mm. glimpses of... Well, yeah, I mean, you don't get that from a single prop from a film. No. Oh, my goodness, the props. The it props. Was... Oh. Props are cool. Prop design is cool. But I don't need to see a single space gun with no context. Yeah, and I, I don't need to see one single Killian Murphy sized spacesuit, which no. it was interesting. Yeah, I'd, I'd watched but, Sunshine. It was cool. I hadn't. Yeah. And I didn't get anything from that at all. Yeah. Also, some of these props were incredibly badly labelled. Yeah. I There was one, there was a robot with sort of um, tank like treads mm. and it had like thanks Greg you've done a great job written on the back of it no idea what film it's from no I label. think that might have been from Lost in Space ah. but I don't know okay. there were a couple of props that seemed kind of vaguely familiar Yeah, but I didn't I didn't recognise them It was. we were yeah. literally Lost, Lost in, in space. space yes we were I'm sorry that was a really bad pun there were some beautiful gems though there were some gorgeous aerospace ads this was a really cool part oh those were really fun there was there was one that said now propelled by hot gas with a picture of a thing like a cartoon figure with an enormous bum and it was definitely a fart joke yeah yeah so these were a section that what was great about it was that you saw the interaction between actual science and the speculative fiction of the era yeah and these these adverts they looked sort of speculative in themselves they were the Mm. kind of thing that they reminded me a little bit of um the fallout games actually which yeah uh, okay i know the arc but i haven't played them oh okay um so essentially fallout branches off from um the current history of the world in i think the 1960s so you've got this very like 1950s aesthetic right but set in the future like a post-nuclear which is super cool yeah. it's wonderful and that kind of retrofuturism yes it's really cool um and yeah i i appreciate the styling of that it was so much yeah it was lovely these were beautiful they were mainly american but i think a couple were russian Mm. And you had this real sense of kind of the space age and all of this potential that's yes. out there. It was very exciting. It was yeah. thrilling in a way that, like, I I don't think science fiction feels thrilling right now. It sort of no. feels more like an escape. Well, I feel, I think a lot of the science fiction genre today is quite blurred with dystopia. It's true. I think you've, well, you've got things like, in, in the real world so Stephen Hawking going mm. like we've got to get off the planet mm. basically so there's almost this desperation right. around science fiction of yes 
like we, we have to get away from here yeah whereas in the past it seemed to be more about exploration and like it was a bit more colonialist as yeah. well um which actually that's another thing that the exhibition very briefly touched on there was a tiny bit of panel that referred to the fact that H.G. Wells in War of the Worlds uses the aliens as a metaphor for European colonisation. Mm-hmm. And there was another tiny, tiny reference to uh, Ursula Le Guin kind of rejecting the traditionally white, cis, het male protagonist of sci-fi. Yeah. And they were next to a cover of a book by Octavia Butler. Yes. And that was it. Yes. There was oh, no God, you could have that. Do, you could have done so much more with that. I know. Um, there was so much potential there to have a really interesting examination of what we make heroic in mm. fiction. And, you know, when we're looking at sci-fi, where are these ideas coming from? Are we, are we projecting the world that we live in in the future or are we envisioning an alternative society? Yes. Like, how does that... How do we experience that? And there is potential, and this is something that, you know, sci-fi and fantasy have been really heavily criticised for recently, Mm. is that when you're in a fantasy world where, you know, there are literal aliens, but your human cast is sort of all white and heteronormative, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, humanity doesn't look like that. No, humanity doesn't look like that, and it's not a reflection of humanity. And there's this enormous potential for what humanity you choose to reflect. It's true. I think we were talking during the exhibition about Terry Pratchett, who mm. I, I know isn't science fiction, although he did write some later on in his life, uh, so the, the Long Earth series. But um, the very first Discworld novel is kind of an exploration of tourism. Right. Um, but as seen through the eyes of the people who are being visited by the tourist. So yeah. you've got two flower a rich tourist coming over from this continent that everyone else thinks is a myth and he turns up in Angmapork the um this world's biggest city and uh starts throwing money around and referring to bar fights as quaint and that kind of thing and it's wonderful yeah Terry Pratchett did a really great job the I read it for the first time when I was about 13 and I think I haven't reread it since then I, I reread it earlier this year and the first thing that struck me on this reread was all of these characters are male and I'm halfway through the book where are the women right and Terry Pratchett got a lot better at that later but Mm. it was yeah it was really interesting to see that people could write these books that were largely about the white male experience even though they're set on other planets yeah I mean that was something we were looking at these pulp covers and you kept saying it's very male gazy but then I spotted the one naked man. Yeah. Actually, no, there were two. There naked were two men. naked men, and that was great. Yeah, but well, was, were... it, was it great? Well, I don't know. No, okay, but there were two naked men in a sea of naked women. Yes. Um, and yeah, you're right. It is incredibly masculine, and that's something that I wonder. You know, the way we talk about sci-fi is this exclusive, quite cliquey thing. It's a bit of a boys' club. Mm. What came first? What the the boys' club or the science fiction? Yeah, I think was it's... it. You know, was it always treated as a masculine genre? I'm not actually sure, but my sense is that... So the earliest science fiction I can think of is, like, Jules Verne. Mm. And that is necessarily masculine because of um, the tropes of exploration Mm. that are inside it. And that would be um, kind of unthinkable for a a nice Victorian lady, really. Uh, So if you need the money 
to, yeah, to do this and you need the social standing to do it of course you're going to be a white man yeah um but that may have set the tone for the rest of science fiction yeah. inadvertently i mean the first sci-fi novel was written by a teenage girl it's true mary shelley wrote frankenstein when she was 18 years old Which and is, i did not know she was 18 she, when she was wrote that. so young and it's incredible and it yeah she didn't publish it under her own name and it was a bit of a scandal that she had been going to all of these scientific lectures in London Top that shot. she used to inform the book but mm. that is one of those things where yeah okay all of the char- most of the characters most of the major characters in Frankenstein are, are male mm. because that's the world that she's portraying yes um, but when we think about the future mm. and we perpetuate that yeah there's no need there's no need and that's something that I find quite frustrating and you know that wasn't touched on at all in this exhibition and I guess maybe it wasn't the place for it I mean there were there were hints that Mm. whoever curated it was thinking about it so there was that little bit on Afrofuturism yes um, which was great yeah that was was firstly the film clips were beautiful and secondly it was wonderful to see the inclusion of those films in the first place so there was this section that was made by an artist collective where they look at, you know, Afrofuturism, no matter how it's presented. So from films, from music videos and all of these things. And they made this kind of compilation video of like the best bits that had been made in the last (laughs) 20 years. And it was beautiful. It was beautifully filmed and it was great to see some diversity in this exhibition. Yeah, it was, it was nice. I, I wonder if some of the, the problem with that is, um, it's a relatively small space. Yeah. Yeah. You, you could have, my god, you could have devoted an entire wing of the science museum to this. Right. Um, Why is it at the Barbican? I'm really not sure. This is the thing that I kind of keep coming back to, is I don't really know what it was doing there. I mean, you would know better than, than I do, being the art historian. Yeah, but it just <laughs> kind of didn't really feel right. It didn't quite fit into their curatorial programme as I, as I know it. Like, I know they do a lot of installation work. The last thing I saw in the Curve Gallery was performance. Mm. This just didn't feel like it belonged there. And it made me wonder if perhaps it had been developed for another museum that had passed on it. It That could explain it, actually, why it felt cramped and rushed. And, oh, those, those little pinch points in the design. Right. So there was a point at which um, uh, clips from recent science fiction films were showing, yeah. were showing. Um, the only one I remember is 28 Days Later yeah they were mainly kind of dystopian future ones and a bunch of people had gathered in front of it but it was at a point in the exhibition where the uh, the, the path through it takes a very sharp U-turn yes and so there was just this crowd of people sitting around watching this film at a pinch point and I mm. thought oh for god's sake yeah so that was that was unenlightening artistic highlights I could have seen an entire exhibition devoted to Geiger, Giger, however oh, you pronounce his work. Yes, you were telling me about the... So there's the town in Switzerland where he was from, and you can visit his house. I haven't been, but I know people who have. You can visit his house, and it's just like, the entire place is basically like a set from Alien. Mm-hmm. Because he just made all of these creatures and designed all of this weird furniture, and you look <laughs> up and there's like a spine growing across the ceiling and stuff like that. Ah. And there's a bar in the town that he designed the interior for. Yeah. And so, like, all of the chairs and furniture are these kind of weird creatures with these like gothic metal spines and stuff. Yeah. It sounds amazing. Uh, his work is incredible. Mm-hmm. There were some beautiful drawings of prototypes and then models from the alien films that he had worked on. They were on. great, they were amazing. 
But I think maybe they were great for us because, like, we're familiar right. with his work. Yeah. It would have, if it had been, uh, if we come to that with no knowledge of, no. of Alien, then it would have been like the other aspects of the exhibition for us where we were just going, that's cool, but what of it? I mean, the one thing that kind of saved it for me at that point, you're right, I was familiar with his work and so I enjoyed it more, but at least you did get to see the sketches That's through true. various prototype stages mm-hmm. and then the finished model. Yes. So you had a bit more of a sense of how he developed it and you could see in some of the early drawings how the the creature, I don't know what it's called. The alien? The alien. Um, you know, you could see how that, that shape grows out of a human skull. Yeah. And that was really great because you saw his working progress. Yeah, which is, that's always fascinating Definitely. to me. Definitely. Like, I love looking at other people's work right. as they're like figuring a thing out. Yeah, that's always my favourite thing. Um, there were a couple of other cool points. There was a really fun piece by an artist called Martin Patchard called uh, SWAN, which mm. stands for Star Wars A New Hope. And oh, yes. this was a 123 meter long digital drawing <laughs> showing every single scene in A New Hope, Star Wars Episode 1 slash 4. We scrolled through it. Quite it's amazing. Quite a lot of it, I would say. Yeah. And we, we did not get off the Death Star for oh, God, quite no. some time. It's incredible. It's meticulous and lovingly made. Mm. Like, this is, this is a piece of like really high quality fan art. <laughs> it was lovely. It was lovely. It was just very sweet to it see. Was, it was beautiful, even for me. And I am the kind of person who, up until two years ago, my, my party trick used to be I would uh, attempt to say what I think happened in the Star Wars films based purely on what I had absorbed through pop culture. Great. <laughs> which was a lot of fun. And uh, earlier today, trolled Alice by suggesting that uh, Princess Leia was the tall, hairy one. That's yeah. right, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I fucking love Star Wars. <laughs> so this was actually quite a lovely thing to see, personally. Um, there was also an absolute gem at the Oh end. my goodness. I loved it this so much. This made me so happy. This was worth the price of admission alone. Yes. And I think the reason I stopped to look at it was because Thomas Middleditch was in it. Right. I had not heard of any of the actors. Okay. So Thomas Middleditch is um, one of the leads in Silicon Valley, which is a sitcom about a startup in Silicon Valley. Right. And, And he plays this adorable, nervous nerd. And I... I love him. I don't really know how to explain quite what it is, <laughs> okay. but I find him intensely funny. Okay. Um, well, we stopped. We stopped. Film, we did. Which is called Sunspring, and it's directed by Oscar Sharp and Ross Goodwin. And basically, what they did was they fed an AI the scripts of hundreds of sci-fi films. So things like I saw they they had a, a very, very fast, fast scrolling, scrolling list. list. Um, so I saw things like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, V for Vendetta, um, I think Moon was on the list. Mm. There, there were there were As lots. well as like all of the classic ones that yeah. you would say were more sci-fi. Like, yeah. you know, any kind of spacey film that's been made in the last 30 or 40 years. Yeah. Um, plus The Matrix, Plus The Matrix course. and stuff like that. Brief shout out to Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I don't know Vampire. why. Um, um, but like benevolent vampire oh yeah for sure yeah. Okay. Um, they fed these scripts to an AI and then got it to write a film script for them 
Yes. And then they filmed this nine minute film with three actors taking it incredibly seriously. There is nothing funnier than watching people read lines that don't make any sense, like it's a matter of life and death. This is hilarious. We were so good. Cracking up. At one point, I, I looked over giggling at Alice and Alice was bent double laughing at some I was just it was the weirdest thing I have ever seen and it was brilliant and none of it made any sense but all of these lines were absolute like cardboard like cookie cutter yes. standard lines of like, tropes from sci-fi films I don't know what you're talking about and yeah so forth I don't know why I did that in like a Crichton voice yeah but it's sort of like I can't save the world <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, what was it the beginning of it was something like uh, in this world, there's only one thing for a young man to do: sell his blood. Yeah, it wasn't quite that. But. No, but it was. It was just. It was amazing. It and was so great. They, they combined these kind of like tropes taken from other films with the prompts that were made for a short film festival. Yes, and submitted it to the competition. <laughs> and they didn't say how they went in the sci-fi filmmaking competition. Presumably, everyone else who put a film in took it very seriously. Mm-hmm. But this was honestly one of the most delightful things I have ever watched. I think my favourite bit in it was so there. There were two male actors, Thomas Middleditch and another man who was, I would say, a solid foot taller yeah. than Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> <laughs> There's this one point which. Thomas Middleditch is threatening this tall dude, but he like literally just comes up to his chin, and the cameraman is struggling to take them both in shot. <laughs> so they got this script written by a robot, and they filmed it in a day. Yes. So all of the costumes are like basically tin foil. Yes. Everyone is of... wearing they're like pleated tin foil. Yeah, it's amazing. Beautiful. And like a weird metallic, I would say, toilet seat of the future. <laughs> right. Uh, that someone is Neck wearing piece. as a as incredible. A, yeah. Uh, everyone's wearing like gold lipstick. Yeah. Um, and you can see that where they've shot it is like someone's modernist kitchen. And yeah. They try to do it with the angles so you can't see that like it's a kitchen. <laughs> and at one point, you know, um, one of them grabs a gun off the wall that's been duct taped there and then spends <laughs> the next like 30 seconds trying to get the duct tape off the gun. <laughs> and it is just so perfect. It was. My favourite thing. I'm still cracking up. I'm still like you can hear how much we love this film. It was was beautiful. I let out like a full on cackle in the gallery as well. (laughs) It was amazing. Yes. Um so that was by far the highlight of this for me, and it was the one thing that didn't take itself seriously. Yes. Which I hope is the future of sci fi. Oh god, yeah, that would be great. That would be great. Maybe I should write a sci-fi novel. I don't I'd take myself you. very seriously. I'd love you to write a sci-fi novel. I'd be it, so bad. It at would it. be hilarious. I though. am really no good at plotting. Okay, fine. <laughs> we did also see downstairs in the pit theatre. There is an installation. It was. It I don't was something. Know if I liked it or not. It was a bit. The the signing was a little bit portentous. Mm. It was. Um, that there was one sentence that went on for about 15 words too long, yeah. I would say. The, the, again, the wall text was really, really disappointing, and I don't know who's writing this stuff, but I was very sad. Mm. But um, the thing itself was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. You said, I wrote this down because I loved it so much, I feel like I'm meeting an alien. Yes! Okay, so we have to maybe explain a right. little bit what it we was. We should back up. <laughs> we should. Okay, so... Uh, it, it was a, a large piece of machinery mm. uh, with three legs. With a kind of moving arm that had a... I'm sorry, I'm trying to 
imitate the arm right now so like like you're pretending to be an elephant like you're pretending to be an elephant but kind of swinging your arm around and there was a light on the tip of the arm yeah that would kind of move and do like you know point at things and yeah swivel it looked like a combination of it was about to drill into the floor and it was just exploring this space that it was in it looked intelligent Yes. That was the most remarkable thing about yeah. it. Yeah. I, I fully kept expecting it to, like, shine its light in my face. Right. And cock its yes. tiny robot arm. Yes. Uh, so Quite it's surrounded by these kind of circles of paper screens with cutouts in them. that Like, a, like these, a paper stone henge. Like a paper stone henge. That is exactly what it felt <laughs> like. Which give beautiful shadows as well. So you mm. kind of walk through these circles and you get glimpses of it. And as you get closer and closer you get much more intimate with it yeah and as other people come into the space you see their shadows before you see them Mm. and it felt like it felt like being an arrival kind of that you didn't really get a clear sense of things and then suddenly you were right there yes i was really glad that we were the only two people in there when we when we went in because um it it felt more i think mysterious than it would have done intimate yeah you you said you fully expected to have like some kind of meaningful encounter with it, and then I, standing 20 paces back, would make some kind of wisecrack, which is, I think, the exact nature of our relationship. Oh, yeah, pretty much. But yeah. it, it felt like it felt like being in the beginning of a like encounters with the future type film. It was great. It was brilliant. I really loved this. Yes. So this is by someone called Conrad Shawcross, and it's called In Light of the Machine. Yes. Which is a bit pretentious, but it's, hey, it's, it's a bit cool. on the nose. It is, I would just say. a little. Um, there's also a film that was being shown that we didn't have time to see. There yes. are bits throughout the Barbican that are like screenings, installation things, interactive stuff, including yes. bits from Black Mirror, which... What if phones, but too much, basically. Mm. Um, there's there's some cool stuff in here. Yeah. It's not... It, I mean, I'm, we, went on, we went on a weekday afternoon. I imagine if I'd been on, if we'd been there on a weekend, it would have been a nightmare. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. It's noisy. It's noisy. It's overwhelming, and it's badly displayed. But there was some cool stuff. There were some gems. Yeah, but, but they don't quite add up to enough for me to recommend this exhibition. I don't particularly want to go mining God, while no. I'm while I'm at an exhibition. What I would exactly like is the, the like. jewels carefully laid out for me. Well, that's why it's called curation. <laughs> I mean. You know, without meaning yeah. to be horribly, horribly sarky, that's why it's called curation. And mm-hmm. this did not feel well curated to me at no. all. Nor to me, a non-expert. Well, you're, you're as much of an expert as anyone because you're a gallery goer. That's true. Yes, I go regularly enough that I know what a decent exhibition looks like. Yeah. So, I don't want to go mining to find a good exhibition. Not even in the future. Not even in the future. It's running until the 1st of September and it's on at the Barbican Centre. You can book tickets in advance and if you're going on a weekend, that's what you should do. Otherwise, you can pretty much just show up and walk in. Mm-hmm. There are some cool bits. There's a lot of rubbish. Yes. Much like space. Much like space. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's perfect. <laughs> Much like space, there's a lot of junk. Yes. M- largely put there by humans. Oh, God, it's too perfect. Metaphor. we found the metaphor. Maybe that's... Maybe the true metaphor was... The one that was inside us all along? Or the ones we made along the way? One of them. Okay. (laughs) Um, I think we're done here. I think we are. I... Yeah, I can't recommend this exhibition. 
And that's the first time I've ever actually said, don't bother about a show. Which is a shame. Which is a shame. But I it had really to happen. I to it. But I'm, yeah, it was I'm inevitable. Just sorry it was with me. I'm, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I've seen some other really cool stuff recently. There's a fantastic exhibition called... Uh, Beneath the Pines on at the Photographer's Gallery. That is really worth going to if you like Twin Peaks and or Riverdale and or gothic spooky Americana photography. It's very cool and it's free before midday. Um, And yeah, the Giacometti exhibition at the Tate that's on at the moment is also pretty good. There's There's plenty of other stuff going on that you could spend your time and money on. Yes. And that is why I cannot recommend this exhibition. Ooh. You know where to find me. I'm in all the usual places. I'm on Facebook as Exhibitionist. Uh, my website is theexhibitionist.org. You can drop me an email at exhibitionistpod at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter as AA Proctor, and I'm generally up for a chat wherever you want to find me. And if you want to talk to me, Alice knows where I live. Yeah, I, I know where Claire lives. So if you want to talk to Claire about weird, nerdy stuff, get you can in do touch that. with me, and I will pass you on to her. She is she's a very good egg. I am a good egg. Thank you, Claire, for You're... being a good egg in my presence. <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.